0: I think when you can bring your swag in and your professional acumen and your degrees and like you're doing your thing is dope. Like the world loves you, but there's a lot of people that don't love that either. And so I encountered um, resistance as well as support in the journey, and I think that's just part of it. So it wasn't all, you know, me floating in on clouds and meetings and getting work done. <laughs> it was definitely a level of resistance, and everybody wasn't appreciating the the swag. Everybody wasn't there with me, um, and that's okay. You know, I had to figure out how to navigate that.
1: Yo, dímelo mi gente, what up, what up, what up? Welcome to another episode of the Key En this podcast, brought to you by Plural. That was a clip from today's episode hope you're enjoying it so far and this week on the podcast we have a very special guest my colleague coworker, friend lizette williams i mean lizette is a, lizette is an og in the game she's someone that i definitely look up to we are co-workers but definitely not peers <laughs> currently lizette serves as the global head of vertical solutions marketing at facebook where she leads a global marketing team who's tasked with developing the business marketing strategy and approach across seven different industries. Lizette really loves all things culture. And I think that really comes from being born and raised in New York as a proud afro Latina. At home, Lizette is a proud mother of two children who keep her filled with laughter and purpose. At work, she has a long list of accomplishments that I would need the whole episode to list, but for now, I'll highlight a few. 2020 ad Woman of the year by chicago advertising federation top 25 influential black women in business by the network journal inducted into the american advertising federation advertising hall of achievement cranes chicago business 40 under 40 advertising age women to watch black enterprise top women executives in advertising and marketing i mean let's face it her list of accomplishments are impressive but what i personally love the most about her is that She balances bringing this business acumen, these awards, all of these, all of the years of experience with herself. She has a swag that is unique to her. And she uses all of this, in particular her swag, her Latinidad, her being born in New York in the Bronx, being a proud Afro Latina. She uses all of this as a strength. So instead of hiding who she is, which you'll hear in this episode, she's done for a bit, probably most in the beginning of her career, her life. Nowadays, she actually brings it to the forefront and she leverages it as her superpower. I'm excited to share this episode with you all. And hopefully you all can take this as a bit of inspiration, a bit of a roadmap on how you can do that yourself and start leveraging it, not as a burden, but more so as a strength. Let's get into the episode. All right. Uh, so I'll start how I always start the podcast. I always ask the question, you know, when people ask you to be your authentic self or when you hear the word authenticity, what comes to mind for you?
0: Um, I love that question. Authenticity is like super important to me. And for me, it's like just showing up as, as who you are in the in the skin and the personality that makes you most comfortable. Um, where you don't feel like you have to put on airs or pretend, um, to be someone else
1: on like a, on like a scale of one from like a one to a 10, like how comfortable are you being that authentic self right now? These days.
0: With 10 being the most.
1: 10 being the most. Yeah.
0: Um, a 10. Um, but I think that I have grown into a 10 cause I think I started off as like a zero Um, So it's been more of a journey for me to get to this place. And I think it's something that comes just with experience and time, uh, particularly as a person of color, a woman of color in business.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. Um, Let's go through that journey though. Like, where did you you grow up? Was it in New York?
0: I grew up in the Bronx, uh, right by Yankee Stadium. Um, First person in my family to go to college, second person to graduate from high school. Um, so entering corporate America, I started as an intern through the inroads program um, as a senior in high school. Yeah. Um, so I was very uncomfortable. Um, like my, I remember my first internship, I was very uncomfortable. I didn't speak to, just so you understand the context because of the neighborhood I grew up in, I didn't speak to a white person, my own age until the ninth grade. So I didn't grow up in like an environment where I was exposed to mainstream culture, like Black and Latino culture was where I grew up, spoke Spanish and English, ate traditional food, listened to the music. And so now I was entering um, a corporate structure, didn't know anyone that had worked in corporate America, like my uncle worked security at one of the buildings downtown that was like about as close as I got to it and was still toggling between two worlds so living in the bronx taking the d train downtown and it's from a two-bedroom apartment that i was you know sharing with my family and then trying to figure out didn't even have money for you know fancy clothes like down to like what should i wear to work and like what do i talk to white people about like it was just like said like professional white like what should we talk about and i was so uncomfortable and so scared um, in those in that early stage, which I know people now I speak for a living and do people are like, are you serious? Like you're, there? <laughs> but I really was in that place of, of discomfort and trying to figure out how to navigate, um, corporate America in that season.
1: Even, even before you got into corporate America, right? Like you went to, was it Columbia, right? Like that's a predominantly white school as well. Right. And it, I think that's so interesting as well, because it's in Harlem. Right. But then it's this, this like little bubble within itself like what was that experience like
0: well before that i went to boarding school so i left the bronx when i was 14 which was 100 percent black dominican puerto rican like to a boarding school that had 330 students in um, north andover massachusetts and had 10 black and latino students um, and I was part of a program called The Better Chance that helped like inner city minority kids get access to this phenomenal education. So for me, that was a big culture shock. Again, my first day of boarding school was the first time I spoke to a white person my own age. So the only notions I had were what I saw on television, which was like 90210, Melrose Place. I'm like aging myself. Um, so going to boarding school for me was a big shock. And I think for my classmates, a lot of them had never spoken to diverse people their own age either. Um, I always tell people, this is hundreds of thousands of dollars of education. Like that's not who showed up the first day of boarding school. (laughs) That's not who showed up. (laughs) Um, You know, I had an urban um, accent. Like I was very New York, Puerto Rican. Um, And so I think that experience actually shaped me tremendously. I was the president of our diverse student organization at the school. I started our culture month, um, and speaker series. We're really, um, bringing culture into the predominantly white school. And that's where my, I think my passion around diverse initiatives really started. So coming back home for college to Columbia was like, for me, such an amazing experience after coming out of boarding school.
1: It's so interesting because I've had a couple of guests and I don't know what it is about Massachusetts. It's like, the home of boarding schools there's like so many of them out there um but i had this one guest that went to boarding school as well and even even something as simple as like how she dressed like boarding school really shaped who that was because she left and just like all of a sudden just started dressing really preppy because that's what she was used to um like what were 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 there any sort of things like that you took away from that that really shaped your identity for the better or worse um
0: it's interesting honestly i think boarding school helped to shape me and made me socially acceptable to white people. That's like the easiest way to describe it. So when I came home 14 years old, went to boarding school the first day, people literally couldn't understand what I was saying. And it wasn't because I spoke a different language, it just was because my urban like dialect was so thick um, that when I came back for Thanksgiving and I got home, my friends back home were like, you sound like a white girl, like you sound so different. And it was so, I was young enough in, in life where it actually changed my diction and the way that I pronounce words having gone to a school at that age um, and it stayed. So I think one of the things was my speech, uh, my vocabulary, like people always talk about how articulate, which I hate when people do that, but I get it all the time because I speak for a living. Um, it shaped me in a very different way and really improved my communication skills. Uh, the education was also like best in class, right? So I I got a chance to not only learn how to practice communication skills, but I became extremely educated. I worked really, really hard to understand kind of broader issues and topics going on in the world. It was international school, so had exposure to a lot of things. So I think that, for me, um, really informed a lot of, of my life. And then just the experience being there, I did crew for four years, I was a coxswain, I, like there was just so many experiences that my roommate was from Saudi Arabia, like there were so many experiences I wouldn't have otherwise had, but I always felt like I was living between two worlds. Yeah. Um, you know, coming back home was a very different experience. My so-, so just to give you an example, when I was in the 11th grade, my sister was shot as a, and killed in a, as a bystander in a shooting in New York. So I had to come back home and left school for like a month um, to deal with that. And that was like the dichotomy of being a, you know, black Latina from the inner city, first person to do everything. And then having this very preppy upscale boarding school life and was constantly juggling that and trying to figure out how to navigate both worlds like effectively.
1: Yeah. I mean, that must've been so difficult because at such a young age, like most people don't like, quote unquote, leave home until they go to college. You know what I mean? And that's four years after the fact that you even had to leave home. So there's like, so such an, at such an early age, you have to grow up. Right. And then you go to boarding school and then people are sort of judging you for your accent, but then you go back home and then people are judging you for the new <laughs> way you speak. So it's just like, you couldn't win. Like, how did you even think about navigating those worlds? Because in some sense, and maybe I'm reading too much into this, but in some sense, I'm sure that you want to fit in on both ends, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. There's a um, there's a quote, Dr. Felipe Corzeni, who is like the leading researcher on Hispanic marketing, has a book and he says uh, in Spanish, ni soy de aquí ni soy de allá. Like, yeah. I'm neither from here nor from there. And that was kind of where I always was. But I think that was the early shaping of my authenticity because I had to get comfortable being in the place I was in, right? And not having to choose, like, I'm Black, yep, I'm Latina, I speak Spanish, I speak English. And by the way, I also liked doing crew and I also liked having sushi with like my, my Jewish friends and some of like the other things that weren't necessarily, um, that were foreign, I think, to the culture I, I grew up in. Um, But it was it was a very very difficult time, and it took a while for me to get comfortable in my own skin, Um, and also to get comfortable with not being mainstream. Because I was like (laughs) I was like an activist in high school um, for for diversity and people of color, and that like right now it's cool. Right now everybody's on this bandwagon, but back then like that wasn't that was not the way to gain popularity as an adolescent.
1: (laughs) Oh for sure. They they probably said so many things about you like. Like they they weren't calling you an activist, I'm sure. No. <laughs> <laughs> why why did you feel the need to? I mean, at such an early age too, like not that many people in high school would think to speak up so so vocally like you did. Like why did you feel the need to do that?
0: Um, I mean, I had a lot of experiences in high school um, where things were said to me. Like it there was just it was just an, a difficult time, and it amplified who I was as a person of color because the school was not diverse. Um, And I was so different. So I decided to lean into that instead of trying to assimilate to the mainstream culture of the school. Um, And then I had to fully own that. Like if I was making a decision to keep my identity, I then needed to fully own the identity to be comfortable with it. Um, So it just became part of who I am. I got really close to the other students of color who to this day are some of my dearest friends from, from boarding school. Like I said, I was president of the Diverse Students Organization on the campus. I was just doing a lot of things to try to better the school in that space. And I just had to get comfortable with it.
1: Yeah. Um, What were some of the things that were said to you?
0: Um, I was definitely called the N-word in Boston. (laughs) Yes. Boston, to me, is also just like, you know, at least at that time, was just like a difficult place, um, that part where we were. Um, yeah, there were definitely like, there was an incident at the school around the Confederate flag while I was there. Um, there was just like all types of different racially charged things that were happening. Um, so I had to, I had to just advocate, um, for myself. When I was a freshman, there was a senior at the school as well, who's African-American from South Central LA. And she is today, we're still friends. She is like president of the NAACP chapter in Minnesota and is a full fledged activist right now and I think her her mentorship and influence when I first got to school um, played such a big role in me continuing to be who I was um, and be comfortable in that space
1: that's insane like even at this age like I can't even imagine going through some some of those things and to your point I mean like what I said earlier you had to grow up so fast Um, let's fast forward even like when you go you said you were so happy to go back home for college right and a lot of that college experience in some way is really like preparing you for corporate America right like what were you thinking about when you were in college as far as like career-wise or like what you wanted to do
0: um it was really simple I mean I didn't I self-funded a lot of the stuff got scholarships and worked a million hours a week to pay for a school um so I had to get a job like I basically was like I had to get the highest paying job I could get out yeah. of columbia in order for this to work my family also my sister uh, passed um when i was in 11th grade so my mom took this is like so it's it's hood problems like my mom took custody of her kids and it was just there was a lot going on i think in my personal life and there is things that people don't realize when we talk about equity for people of color because we didn't come from generations of wealth like we're still dealing with that like now you know and so yes i have access to an amazing education and i've had awesome opportunities but i was still navigating like very much low-income issues at that time so i was focused on getting like the highest paying job i could get um out of boarding school which i narrowed it down to investment making or consulting and i was like i'm gonna do consulting and i'm gonna figure out how to get there uh, which is how the inroads program came in i got in as a senior in high school and did four summers um at corporate internships, two summers with Business Week magazine and two summers with Price Waterhouse groupers.
1: I I had the same thought. Like <laughs> like in college and what I just think about corporate America, I was like, I, I need to make as much money as possible. And people don't understand like why. And it's not just about it's not just about making money, but that that money equals freedom in a lot of ways. Not even for just us, but like a lot of times for our families. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like we don't come from that wealth. So I totally get that. And I had the same career track. Like I was trying to go into uh finance, investment, banking, and I, I tried it for a bit, but I didn't love it for various reasons. But like those first few jobs that you had, like was it was it a repeat of like that early experience in high school or at that point did you have more confidence and did you, in just like who you were, like, what was the, what were those, some of those early experiences like?
0: No, I mean, I think it's been a gradual progression. It's been a journey, you know, so I was at IBM um, for a few years doing consulting. I had to like grow into that. I had to grow into it. No, I wasn't comfortable at work. I was still trying to figure out topics to talk to my coworkers about at 22. And then I had this fancy job. I was on airplanes first class because I was traveling so much and the life was just, big for like a 23 year old you know but i still um i think i still struggled in a lot of ways to try to figure out points of commonality um i think as people of color particularly in the business world we're constantly trying to make other people feel comfortable around us Um, and so you're like i can now it trained me i can talk to anybody about anything like i know a lot of random information so I really think I can sit down with almost anyone and have a small talk conversation because we're constantly put in situations where we have to make other people feel comfortable. Um, yeah. So I learned how, I learned how to do it.
1: It's it's crazy cuz people think like people talk people talk about these like dinner conversations just like you know um what is it like the water cool talk and it, and people think it's something as simple as like us saying something, you know, whatever our interests are, but like they don't understand. I mean, I don't know if this is for you, but for me, like I legit assigned myself homework on the weekends to like study what I was going to talk about Monday morning. You know what I mean? Like Yes.
0: Yes. I I did that as an intern, I would read the New York Times cover to cover on the train, like at like 18. So I could know what to talk about. Um and then when I got into the workforce because it was so male dominated, I would watch the highlights from sports center. I don't like sports, by the way, and I don't watch sports, I don't, but I, I was like, like I got to be able to get, I got to be able to have these conversations with these men at work. So I would watch all the highlights so I could come into work <laughs> and like make sure I could contribute to whatever conversation was happening. <laughs> like literally would force myself to do things so that, again, I became like socially acceptable in the workplace i learned about wine and like made sure i understood how to order things like there are it's almost like another class where you're like studying uh mainstream culture to ensure that you're at least acceptable to the society that you're trying to really be a part of um and it, it sounds crazy but that's actually things i think that people of color often have to do
1: yeah no i agree i i always say that like i'm a full-time you know, at this point, I'm a full-time Facebook employee, but I'm also a full-time actor because in a lot of rooms, you know, I have to put up this persona or at least I used to, I don't do it at this point just because, you know, I've, I've learned, you know, how to, how to accept myself and just present who I am, but it's a full-time job. And like, people don't understand the amount of productivity that like companies are even losing on the fact that like, we're sometimes not even doing our job to our max capacity because we're doing this like acting gig. Yeah,
0: no, it takes a lot of energy. Um, and so, you know, I don't know that, A lot of times people realize that you're both trying to succeed, obviously, in your day-to-day work, Um, but it's also important that you play the politics and understand how to navigate the organization, and a lot of times that takes a lot of energy.
1: So for you, though, like, obviously, it's a journey, like, it wasn't necessarily one instance, but was there something that just clicked at one point that was just like, I'm tired of putting up this facade? Was it a person that you saw that you were like, I want to be her? Like, what was it for you?
0: Yeah, so I was, I ended up doing four years of consulting. I went to um, Northwestern for my MBA. I graduated, transitioned to a career in marketing, um, and then I spent a few years at Pepsi, um, and I was having a good ride. Like, I was starting to come into my own. I was president of the Diverse Employee Resource Group at Pepsi. I was leaning into that part of me, and then I got the opportunity to take this job at Kimberly-Clark. Um, to be the first multicultural marketer ever hired in the history of the company and to use the marketing acumen that I have built at Pepsi running big brands and combine it um, to focus on how they would grow their business with Latina moms and diverse moms. So I started off on Huggies. I just had a baby. Uh, I was Puerto Rican. I know, Sp- I know Spanish and they would like go figure out how to sell Huggies to Latinas because they're having babies. So I was like that, like, cool. I know how to do this, like it was like a combination, I think, of my personal passions and my professional strengths, um and I felt that leaning into who I really was actually became an asset in my work. so there was an unlock that happened when I started in that role, and I ended up expanding to all the North America brands and the rest of it is history. Everyone kind of knows all the work I wound up doing, going to McDonald's now I'm here um I leaned into it in a big way and I stopped pretending because it actually became my strength that I was able to understand the consumer and have a very in-depth f- consumer empathy because I'd spent 30 years like in, in like a real life ethnography like I was like literally a walking, a walking ethnography of like understanding um, Latina women and, you know, black women and concerns. So it was really interesting to take that, that role and to grow out of that experience.
1: How did that, how did that feel? Like um, you, yeah, you like just embracing all of that. And it sounds like, obviously like you, you continue to be successful, but it sounds like you continue leaning to lean that strength as well, right?
0: Yes. So now, it, now this is like full fledged who I am. And I think for me, the unlock is figuring out like the problem that you want to solve and then going after it wholeheartedly. So I was like, I wanna change the way diverse people are depicted in advertising, period. So that we, you know, a lot of people's um, notions of us are through media. And like, we have such a tremendous responsibility as marketers to ensure that we're putting out the right messaging. Um, So that became my problem to solve. And I think that for me was the biggest unlock. And it, it felt So there's two sides of this, because I think people are like, well, you're writing high, like now you're, you know, yeah, it's great. It's great when you find your passion and the problem you're trying to solve in the world and your professional world lines up with that. I think the challenge also that we don't talk enough about is that it becomes very tied to your identity as a human, right? So it's not even just a job anymore. Like, it's not a job. You can't put it down. Like, you're um, and so, and also, I do think there becomes a heightened resistance from a lot of folks when they see that. I think when you can bring your swag in and your professional acumen and your degrees and like you're doing your thing is dope. like the world loves you, but there's a lot of people that don't love that either. And so I encountered um, resistance as well as support in the journey and I think that's just part of it. So it wasn't all, you know, me floating in on clouds and meetings and getting work done. <laughs> it was definitely a level of resistance and everybody wasn't appreciating the the swag. Everybody wasn't there with me um, and that's okay. You know, I had to figure out how to navigate that.
1: Yeah, i love to I love to dive into that a bit. Like, talk to me a little bit about the resistance that you face, but also on the other side, like there are people that, you know, that fuck with the swag, you know what I mean? That appreciate yeah. the swag, that appreciate your authenticity. Yeah. And, you know, some people call them allies, we call them whatever we want. But talk to me about that resistance and then talk to me about just like how people were there for you and really like supporting who you were.
0: Yeah, I mean, the resistance, when you're a change agent and coming into a traditional organization that's done things a certain way for a very long time, and you're looking to uplift um, the depiction and the voices of people of color in the work, like that's hard um for a lot of people because things have been done a certain way for a very long time and you and i was also very different like it's disruptive like me coming to a meeting with my natural hair and the fullness of who i am and it's disruptive to a traditional organization because it brings in a level of diversity that they were not accustomed to and so i think for a lot of folks that was scary um because they couldn't relate to it and it didn't play to their strong suit right? So if like, this is the thing that where the organization is leaning into, and you don't have the thing, that's scary. Um, And so there was resistance with me, um, you know, fighting for budgets and making certain decisions about the direction we would go with brands and the talent that we would use. And it was just a whole process. But I think even in the industry, and I love the industry so much, um, you know, there's just so much I can say, but I'm big on like unification of, of culture, because I think we're a lot more alike than we are different, particularly BIPOC people. Um, when you look at who we are, everybody's not about that life. Like me (laughs) having an intersectional identity, um, everybody's not about that. There's still there's still a lot of separation between african-americans and latinos for example even though that hasn't been my my personal experience and i actually see the convergence more than i see the separation so i encounter resistance on that front as well from industry folks in terms of like what is it that you're trying to do like you need to relax with all of this like you know um so that is just things i had to navigate the allies to me have held me down like there's just been so many um peaks and valleys and just different seasons. Um, I led multicultural at McDonald's as well. So I did that work for eight years and then came to Facebook and there's a community, I think of change agents, of progressive people, people who want to be part of the change that became like my people, like my tribe and the people that I called on and went to lots of mentors, um, inclusive of white men, by the way, Mm-hmm. who really trying to support me and helps me to figure out how to do the work and i'm still doing it it's not over like i'm still very much in it right now
1: i think that's i think that's the interesting part as well right because like obviously your career is not over you're still growing yeah. you're, you're you're continuing to like tackle new challenges i've I'm, i've always wondered because i'm not in a i'm not in a manager role i'm not in a director role you know you've had some pretty pretty you know some positions that are up there in, in various companies like is it easier like the higher that you go in certain ranks to be yourself because like you're in a position of power or is it more difficult because at the end of the day like like every manager has a manager you know what I mean like is it difficult or easier
0: I think it's easier when I went to McDonald's I I stopped straightening my hair this is an example I straightened my hair my entire life and we can get a whole conversation about beauty and what that means particularly Mm -hmm. with Latino culture Mm -hmm. but I was like I'm gonna stop straightening my hair like I'm a senior director, like whatever. <laughs> just, you know, like, I'm just going to be free. I want to work out. I want to go swimming. Like I can't be worried about my hair and I'm trying to run a business like that. They don't need me to be worried about my hair. Um, and when I did that, a lot of the other women on the floor stopped straightening their hair. So I would come to work and we were having whole conversations, including white women, by the way, who were like flat ironing their hair before work, we would have whole conversations about products in the hallway and it was like such a small thing. But I realized that that started happening when I stopped straightening my hair. Like it almost gave people permission. And it also evolved what professionalism looked like because I was a senior director showing up, like how I show up, Then it evolves the depiction of like, what a what a senior director looks like. I also People see me present, like even in big board meetings and stuff. I do a lot of hip hop references. I love hip hop, but I always have like a story to relate to or bring in like these different analogies around Beyonce. I did one on Jay-Z a couple weeks ago uh, for the team. And I think that also, like me doing that in big, huge meetings with executives actually started to give people permission to just present themselves a different way. Um, and I think I was able, I don't know if that would have been as well received when I was like an associate brand manager, right? (laughs) I think I needed to get to a certain point. And now my goal is to make it permissive for everyone to just be who they are. And to actually lean into that as a strength, um, as I navigate like the, my forward looking career.
1: I love that. I mean, the simple, something as simple as like you doing something for yourself, right? Like stop straightening your hair. And it's not like you told you know, the people on the floor, like, yo, everyone stop trading your hair. Like they just saw you and they were like, oh shit, like if she's doing it, that means I could do it. Uh-huh. That's beautiful. I mean, as, as you look forward, as you, you know, think about your career and as you continue you know, to be yourself, like what's one thing that continues to encourage, empower, inspire you to just continue being your most authentic self?
0: I think, I mean, it's the hope for the future, it's the the young women and and the people of color and the LGBT community that's like coming behind me. Um, And I spend a lot of time doing things with like young people, universities, my mentees, a lot, I have lots of them. Um, And I think about what do I want to leave them as they're coming up through the ranks? What do I want to leave Fabel as as he's coming up through the ranks? And what's the situation I want to leave for him when he's trying to make director? Uh, and making that road a little bit easier for people who are coming after me to navigate so if it becomes socially acceptable for me to be in a meeting with biggie smalls on my wall like i come to meetings like like then then you can come in and be who you are you know it becomes like what professionalism looks like and what leadership looks like becomes very very different because people are like oh Lizette's dope like she shows up and like it doesn't take away from her intelligence or how she's presenting herself or so i'm consistently being very intentional particularly for the for the folks coming after me because i think it's important